0: Good morning. Good morning. Let us pray. Oh Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of each heart be acceptable in your sight. For you are our strength, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last week we walked along the road to Emmaus with those two disciples who had an encounter with the risen Christ and later recognized him in the breaking of the bread and how he helped them understand the scriptures in a new way. We talked about how there is a difference between a meeting and an encounter. Remember, a meeting is something that is usually planned, it's business as usual, and we usually walk away unaffected. But an encounter is different. An encounter is usually unplanned. The agenda is not set by us, and we walk away changed somehow. Well, this got me wondering, are all encounters positive? And why do we have multiple encounters with various results? Because not every one can be a positive one. Well, my first encounter with Jesus was not a positive one. I remember sitting in my high school Spanish class and talking with two classmates who had come to be my friends. Out of nowhere, they started asking me about my Jewish faith. And telling me that because I didn't believe in Jesus, I would go to hell. I had no idea even how to respond. One, because Jews don't really even believe in hell. And two, I thought, what? Like, why would you say that to somebody? When I finally was able to explain that I believe that Jesus was a good teacher. And that Judaism didn't really spend too much time on who Jesus is. They said to me, well, would a good teacher lie? Again, I did not know how to respond to that. So my first encounter with Jesus that I remember clearly happened through these two classmates. And it was formed by their particular version of Jesus. If this is really who Jesus is, I thought, then I certainly do not want to encounter him again. A few years later, however, I began to question this Jesus that I had originally encountered and began to seek out who he really is. My classmates recognized a Jesus who wanted to condemn people. I, however, began to recognize and encounter a Jesus of love, of tolerance, and forgiveness. Who or what is the Jesus that you recognize? Is he who you expect? Is he a Jesus that you want to know? Today we recall the story of Mary Magdalene, who was left at the empty tomb, crying. Peter and the disciple whom Jesus loved had run to the tomb together just previously. They peered in and they left. But Mary was still there, the only one left, when Jesus appears to her and she recognizes and encounters the The risen Christ but of course she did not recognize him right away right she thought he was the gardener and it makes perfect sense it was early in the morning the tomb was probably in a peaceful garden setting and through her tears and probably the mist of the morning she probably just thought that this was the gardener out doing his everyday work here's a thought however Perhaps Mary thought that the risen Christ was the gardener because he still had the dirt from his own tomb under his fingernails. If this was the case, I probably wouldn't recognize him either. We often think of the risen Christ as pure and clean and shiny, right? Dressed in white clothing that is glowing, It's as if we want to dress them up and clean them up a little bit, especially for those Easter visitors, right? (laughs) So that no one will be offended. But in reality, the risen Christ may have been messy, may have been looking a little disheveled, may have had dirt under his fingernails. Obviously, the risen Christ did not look very impressive, especially since Mary thought he was the gardener. She finally does recognize him, though, when he speaks her name. Just like Cleopas and his wife on the road to Emmaus last week who recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread, Mary's eyes are opened in the best way that Jesus knew how to open them, through speaking her name. There must have been something about the way that Jesus said her name that stops her in her tracks. Her eyes and ears were open to the fact that she was encountering the risen Christ upon hearing his voice. And how amazing it is that Jesus still speaks to us and calls us by name today. How does Jesus speak your name? And do we recognize his voice when he does? When someone we love speaks our name, there's a sense of deep recognition Our name sounds different somehow coming from a loved one rather than someone we do not know. Babies know the sound of their own name from a parent or caregiver as early as four or five months old. When God speaks our name, it is with a sense of love and recognition that God not only knows our name but who we are at our core, our lives, our histories, our stories. When the risen Christ speaks Mary's name, her world is open to the unfathomable truth that Jesus is, in fact, alive and standing in front of her. And she is forever changed in that moment. We've reflected upon the fact that the risen Christ reveals himself through the opening of the scriptures and through the sacrament of Holy Communion. And now we see him revealing himself through the speaking of our names, and opening our eyes to the possibility that the risen Christ isn't always who we expect him to be. Sometimes he looks like the gardener, with dirt under his nails, ready to dig into the dirt and brokenness of this world. We as his followers must be willing to respond to the sound of our own name, and join him in repairing and recreating this world, tilling and planting the soil as a gardener would, bringing forth new life. In the same way, the church needs to be a community where people may recognize and encounter the risen Christ as we speak the names of those who have yet to encounter him. So often we like to stick to the people that we know and recognize well, and we neglect to learn and say the names of those on the outside who are trying to find their way in. I enjoy meeting new people, And when I do, eventually the question comes up, well, what do you do? (laughs) And I hesitate before telling people sometimes that I'm a pastor (laughs) because I get all kinds of responses. So I brace myself for whatever that person is about to say next. I've heard all kinds of things, but the saddest responses are when people share that they have felt judged or condemned, shamed, unloved, or even abused because of the church. Many people now refuse to set foot into any faith community or even believe in God because they've experienced a Jesus of judgment and condemnation. Well, we know this is not how the church should be. We should be in the business of helping people encounter the real Christ who welcomes all and who calls each of us by name and desires for us to recognize his voice and follow him. He calls to us that we too might encounter not the perfect and glowing version that we have become used to, but the real version that meets us where we are for exactly who we are, with dirt in our fingernails and all. So really, in a sense, Mary's encounter with the risen Christ and mistaking him for the gardener is right on. This is Jesus after all, the new Adam, the gardener charged with overcoming the chaos of the Garden of Eden and the mess that we have made of the world today, the Jesus who is charged with bringing forth new life from the dirt and darkness of humanity itself and also from our fears and our anxieties, our doubts, and even from sin and death. In the film, Henry Poole is here, we meet Henry, a man who is in the middle of a dark time of his life. Has anyone seen the movie? Henry Poole is here. Very good. All he wants to do is live in his new house and be left alone. However, a strange watermark appears on the side of his house that looks a bit like the face of Christ. And some strange things begin to happen. We're going to take a look. i'm your neighbor from next door henry Poole's life had hit rock bottom
1: having a party no parties i don't know if you're sad or angry or both you but want me to tell you why i'm sad and angry so it is both until the day
0: hey what are you doing? Did you not see? See what? He found God. And you can see the eyes here and the beard.
1: In his own backyard. All I see is a water stain from a lousy stucco job. I can see how it could be interpreted as a face. Oh, my God. That's quite clear. Now, he can't believe what he's seeing. Hurry, girl!
0: Hurry! Hurry, Oh, my God! Oh, my God! Hey!
1: Does that look like a church back there? It's my house. All three of you are old enough to know better, and I'm especially disappointed in you. I can see. This is a miracle. Now, every holy roller within a 100-mile radius lined up around the block to touch my stucco job. Holy.
0: (gasps) Holy, something else. Actually, from this angle, it looks a little bit like you.
1: not coming up no i think i might have even made it worse <laughs> hey there millie i'm henry you don't talk do you sometimes i don't like to talk either
0: sometimes things just happen because we choose for them to
1: you actually believe that
0: i chose to believe It's getting
1: harder, isn't it? What's
0: that? To pretend this isn't happening.
1: Is it true that the guy in the red shirt just wants to be a better dancer? (laughs)
0: But this strange encounter that happens and then other things begin to happen remind us that perhaps we are all in need of this kind of strange and unexpected encounter with Jesus. The kind that shakes us out of our sadness and our fear and helps us realize that we are not, in fact, standing alone weeping at an empty tomb. Because at one point or another, like Henry, we have all stood at an empty tomb in our lives peering with sadness and fear or anxiety and praying for a sign of hope a sign of new life and we have a choice to believe or not mary chose to believe fresh from the empty tomb risen alive and perhaps having that dirt under his fingernails jesus calls to her she's no longer alone We're reminded that we encounter a Jesus we may not recognize at first, whether because we doubt that it is really him or because he looks different than what we might expect. We might expect a Jesus who is shiny and clean and perfect looking, but it is the Jesus who we mistake for the gardener who encounters us as we are, who meets us in the darkest times of our lives as we stand in front of the tomb. So my prayer for you is that you will encounter the risen Christ as you stand outside of whatever it is that you are facing and to be open to the reality that Jesus isn't always who we think he will be. For Mary, Jesus was the gardener with dirt under his fingernails, reminding her that in the midst of her sadness and pain and the dirt of this world, she was not alone. He speaks Her name, and she recognizes new life, hope, and faith. So may it be the same for each of us as Jesus calls us by name and meets us outside of the tomb in the garden full of new life. Amen.
1: I encourage you, excuse me, if you haven't had the chance to listen to Pastor Jill and Pastor Matt's messages from last Sunday, be sure to check them out online. Jill talked about Cleopas and the encounter. I loved the way she talked about how encounter is different from a meeting. Pastor Matt focused on how Thomas gets a bad rap for being the one that doubts, but he applauded and celebrated that he wanted to see for himself. He had the passion to care about seeing for himself Jesus' wounds. Well, today I'm going to look at another case where the disciples of Jesus, who were, keep in mind, spent nearly every day and night with Jesus for three years. And yet so often they didn't recognize him in these post-resurrection appearances. In today's message, it says that, in, in the passage we just read, that Jesus was probably less than 100 yards away on the shore. But it's not until they experience his guidance, even though he's still 100 yards away, when he tells them to take the net and throw it on the other side of the boat and then experience that catch of 153 fish. I think all of these post-resurrection appearances that we are studying in these weeks after Easter are written with the first century audience in mind. As they read these gospel accounts of Jesus, they are hearing the ways that Jesus still makes himself known, even though they don't have the in-person Jesus to see but comes to them through that spirit. I think it continues to speak to us as we seek to be God's people in the world, how Jesus continues to work through his words and through his spirit. Our biblical scene opens up with Peter and some of the 12 disciples back in familiar territory. They're back at the Sea of Galilee, or sometimes it's called the Sea of Tiberias. They're safely away from that intense activity in Jerusalem. It's home for some of the disciples, including Peter. And Peter decides to go fishing. What's interesting is we're not sure if the biblical writer considers this a positive or a negative. Some think that Peter was turning his back on Jesus, because remember Jesus told him that he was to be fishers of people and not of fish themselves. Others think that perhaps this was just an interlude, a chance for him to gather some income and preparation for the calling that was going to come before him. But either way, that post-resurrection phenomenon again appears where Jesus is on the shore and they don't recognize him. And it doesn't really matter why they don't recognize him. What does matter is how they're able to recognize Jesus. Last week, Pastor Jill noted that they understood Jesus because they heard his words and they might have seen the wounds on his hands. Today, this story says it's the guidance that Jesus provided, telling them to throw the net on the other side. If we'd keep reading in the 21st chapter, verse 11 would have told us this little interesting detail that shows up. It says literally there was 153 fish. How random. Well... (laughs) Who took the time to count them all? That's what I want to know. I mean, how many of you like to go fishing? Okay. Chime in at home if you're watching on the Facebook comment section. I, If you know me, you know I'm not really patient enough to be a good fisherman. <laughs> but I have gone enough that I know 153 fish is a lot of fish. Especially when you think about the small commercial vessels that were used in the Sea of Galilee in ancient times. That was a lot of fish. And it must have been significant for them to have stopped and counted and to remember that little detail. Remember the gospel counts written decades after this thing would have happened, and yet they remembered 153 fish. And when that happens, they somehow know this is Jesus. This is the work of Jesus. And Peter jumps in the boat, swims to shore, and the disciples are not too far behind the boat. I think there's a couple lessons that we can learn from this particular post-resurrection appearance. I hope that it helps us to see the world differently, maybe even to see ourselves differently. And the first one's pretty obvious. I would suggest the simple message is things go better with Jesus. Things go better when we listen to Jesus. This gospel accounts clear that they've been out all night and they've not caught a thing. And when they just follow his advice and just taking it on the other side, they get 153 fish. Boom, just like that. Those who are spiritually mature, you know this lesson well. imagine each of us can think of times that we've tried doing life our own way, and it just didn't work out, did it? Somewhere along the way, life's going to throw us a curveball. We like to think that we're masters of our own destiny, and that works pretty well, especially for those of us who have been successful in our lives. But something comes along we realize we can't do this thing alone. We need something bigger than ourselves, something more powerful than ourselves. I think one of the most important lessons we learn of life is trusting in our spiritual journey, that God is in control. Now, that doesn't mean that God's making every little thing. Not God's not manipulating every action that happens in our world. Gosh, what has happened this week is one example. But what we do know, those of us who've been through those times, we know that somehow God is going to bring something good out of these difficult challenges. We know that God will be there for us and somehow will use this experience or utilize someone else in our life or take our experience to benefit Someone else. I think that's the core of our faith. Life will go better when we prayerfully attend to the spiritual guidance that God does make available to us in all situations. And the other big takeaway from this is simply that fact of 153 fish. This is a story of the abundance of God's grace, the abundance of God's power, the abundance that comes from God's presence. Jesus says in John 10:10, 10, 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The beloved disciple knew in that miraculous catch somehow that Jesus was present. <laughs> Jesus is here and Peter would soon follow in his own passionate way, go diving in and go swimming. I think there is too many of us <clears throat> who forget that we are a people of the resurrection we forget that there is no problem too big for God. Too often we accept the limitations of this world and we decide this is just the way life is. But Peter and the rest of those disciples would experience numerous obstacles in the calling that they've been given. They'd go out through the Roman Empire, and they'd face persecution. They'd face hardships. But every time they'd face one of those problems, they would remember this experience. They would remember 153 fish. Somehow, God will find a way. That number stuck in their head, and that's why it's recorded for us. But let's keep in mind, as this story goes on, remember they go back to shore, and they have a meal, and it's shared with Jesus And they don't even want to talk about that they recognize him, but they do. And then Peter finds himself at the end of this meal that it takes note to say it's around a a fire. Now, you remember any other fires that Peter was around? Remember the night that Jesus was betrayed and he was warming himself with others and someone recognized him and said, you are one of the Jesus followers. And Peter denied it. Now a lot of people think that this last chapter of John was written to restore the reputation of Peter. That was done to declare the forgiveness of Peter. That for the three denials there are three times that Jesus asked him, do you love me? And that may be true. But Caroline Lewis makes a point that shows there's something much deeper going on here. She says, this isn't so much about restoring Peter. I mean, Peter actually never did deny Jesus. He denied his role of leadership that God was wanting to place upon him. Peter wasn't ready for that identity. He wasn't ready for his calling. He wasn't ready to suffer the same fate that Jesus did at that point in time. So all that Jesus is doing, this resurrected Jesus is doing on behalf of Peter right now, is saying to him, here's your cross, take it. He says to him three times, do you love me? And Peter gets annoyed. But Jesus is trying to say to Peter, I believe in you. I know who you are, and I know all your imperfections, but you are exactly the disciple I need. You're exactly the disciple this world needs. You are exactly the disciple God needs for this world right here and right now. So if you ever feel like Peter, we need to understand Jesus' purpose here. I think too many of us question our qualifications, our giftedness, our faithfulness. But remember, Peter is just an uneducated fisherman whom Jesus put to work to change all those lives in that Roman Empire. Our tradition tells us, it suggests, we can't confirm it, but it sure seems fairly reliable, that Peter would eventually lose his own life on a cross, and he requested for that to happen upside down so that he would not somehow be considered equal to Jesus. That's not a bad legacy for an uneducated fisherman from Galilee. And and let me close with just this one final point because it's again a sign of the abundance of God. This chapter ends the book, the Gospel of John. It's a sign of God's abundance. And the writer says, and Jesus did many other things as well, All of them, if they were recorded, the world itself wouldn't have enough room for the scrolls that would be written. That should tell us that God is not finished with us or with this world yet. May the resurrection open our eyes to see the abundant work that's taking place around us, even within us. Let's be a resurrection people. Let's pray. Lord, help us not to just go on life as if it continues the same. And as we're reminded this week with the tragic circumstances that have happened in our city, may we not just throw up our hands and say, again, it's just happened, and complain about the evils and problems of this world. Let's lift our hands and hearts up and say, what can we do? What can we say? What can we become in order to make this world a better place? Make us that resurrection people. May we be a a source of hope and power for others in this world. Through Christ we do pray. Amen.